The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. We uh, begin again with uh, our study of Old Testament texts, as I was just mentioning. We looked at a handful of these on Sunday night, as I recall. We're going to do some more of those this evening. So if you would uh, take your Bible and turn to your Old Testament, we'll start in Isaiah 42. While you're on your way to Isaiah, let me just mention, actually I don't need this. So I'll just set that aside. Uh, There are no notes printed for you, but there easily can be once they are in... uh, well, no, actually, that's not true. There are extra notes. Thank you, Jansen. That is right. Yes, uh, we handed them out on Sunday night. We need to set up here. Well, they were on this table, I guess, not that table. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. So, um, this is actually part of a larger set of notes that I developed in a study of the book of Acts, the whole book of Acts, I have studied uh, all the sermons in Acts interested in the question of how did they preach the gospel? Uh, as I was telling Jansen, you don't find them in the book of Acts, say in chapter 3, Peter saying, please turn your Bible to Romans 1. I'm going to preach you know, the gospel from Romans 1. So they don't have that style of expositional preaching. But uh, So I'm trying to just glean a little bit more what the style is and how they approach the preaching task. But I'm not done with that yet. I'll share the results of that with you another time. But I did notice that they made liberal use of the Old Testament in their uh, preaching to the people. And we saw them use Psalm 16 regarding the resurrection of Christ. We saw them use Psalm 110 about the ascension of Christ and His being at the right hand of God. These were predictions uh, predictions of things that would occur, and then they did, in fact, happen. We saw Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, about the rage of the, the nations raging against Christ, the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and this occurred, and, and uh, actually is a, kind of an ongoing prophecy, but it occurred at least that one time in the book of Acts in chapter 4 and 5. The church noticed that the leaders of Israel were coming after them. We saw Amos chapter 5 regarding idolatry and the chosen nation in Israel and how God condemned the people for their idolatrous behavior. What is, what is idol, uh, idolatrous behavior? It's behavior in which somebody takes God out of his proper place and puts something else there, an idol, a demon, a thing, a person, an idea, a philosophy, and uh, does not love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but rather loves this idea. So that was uh, the, the uh, portion of the people of Israel mentioned in the book of Acts. We saw Isaiah 66 where God is infinite. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. We saw Isaiah 53. If you're going to memorize any section of Scripture, that's got to be a, toward the top of your list. Isaiah 53 about Christ, uh, the Messiah, the servant, giving his life a ransom for many. Uh, making his soul an offering for sin, taking upon him the chastisement of our peace. Uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. That's used uh, in the book of Acts as well, chapter 8. 
We see Psalm 2 again. The resurrection of Jesus is mentioned and His glorification. Isaiah 55 talks about the promise of David or to David and his greater son, meaning that Messiah had to rise from the dead. Um, and then again in Psalm 16, the resurrection of the Messiah is used or mentioned there. So what I'm doing with this is I'm encouraging you to think, <clears throat> if you just take your Old Testament, can you preach the gospel from the Old Testament? Now let me ask you this question. <clears throat> Is it true that the gospel is in the Old Testament? How do you know that? How do you know that the gospel is in the Old Testament? What's that, what's that old phrase? Um, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. And the new is in the old concealed. <laughs> yeah, there's another, there's a couple variations of that phrase, but yes. Yes, the new is in the old contained and the, yes, the old is in the new explained. Okay, there we go. We've got to get that rhyme. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Okay, so how do you know the gospel is in the Old Testament? Well, there's an easy way, and that is if you look, I know I told you to turn to the Old Testament, sorry. Romans chapter 1, listen to this. It says, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay? The gospel was promised before in the Holy Scriptures. Is that enough to convince you? that there was the gospel promised before in the Old Testament. Okay. Now let me ask you this other question, which isn't directly related to what we're talking about. But was the church revealed in the Old Testament? Oh, a little bit more of a stumper, hey? This is a huge mistake that theologians often make. The mistake is this. They say, since the gospel was revealed in the Old Testament and, the, and the, the grace of God toward the Gentiles was revealed, that necessarily, they say, means that the church was revealed in the Old Testament. Not so. Paul is very clear in Ephesians chapter 3 that the mystery that was not made known to the sons of men but now has been revealed was the mystery of the body church, the Jews and Gentiles in one body, the middle wall of separation broken down, Yes, Gentiles would be saved, the Old Testament teaches us. There was to be a gospel, the Old Testament teaches us. But the idea that there would be a new body of believers called the church, that blew even Paul's mind when he learned it. That was a mystery that was revealed. So just because the gospel was contained in the Old Testament doesn't mean that the church was revealed in the Old Testament. Okay, so now we've got that out of the way. Uh, turn to Habakkuk, please, in your Old Testament. Now, this, this is like searching for a needle in a haystack, okay? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. <laughs> I'm going to run out of Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. If you run out of Old Testament before you find Habakkuk, you've got to go back again. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, yes, that's right. If you go to Zephaniah, you've gone just a page too far. So Habakkuk is used in the book of Acts, alluded to in this verse, in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1, Habakkuk 1, five. Now again, these are just the selection of the texts used in the Old Testament. They're, they're not, I'm not following any kind of you know, order as far as you know, theological or kind of well-organized thought here. It's just following how I found them in the book of Acts. So kind of chronologically through Acts, but they touch all kinds of things. Hebrew, or Habakkuk 1.5 Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Okay, this is another example of an Old Testament text that is used in an analogical or adaptive way in the New Testament. Remember when we studied Habakkuk not too long ago, we said that God is telling the people, I am going to send a judgment among you people, Habakkuk, your people, from the Babylonians as we know, and He's going to tell them in advance and they're still not going to believe it. This is not a prophecy of Jesus. It's not a prophecy of the Gospel being rejected. But it is like what Paul and Peter and James and John were experiencing in the book of Acts. Because they were saying, look, here's the Messiah. He came preaching peace. The peace of God. Peace with God through salvation. And uh, he was rejected by the people. He said, look, the kingdom is in your midst. It's right here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's telling them what's going to happen. And what do they do? They kill him anyway. So it's like this. I'm going to work a work in your days, which you would not believe though it were told you. In fact, one very troubling parable to me, uh, actually not a parable, a real true-to-life story, Maybe names change to protect the guilty, but Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man says, hey, send somebody back from the dead. And Abraham says to him, I'm shortening the story. Even if somebody goes back from the dead, they're not going to listen. And Jesus did come back from the dead. And guess what? They didn't listen. They still didn't listen. Very frustrating. I know, you can get people to see the truth. and Boy, can't they just see it? I mean, it's right here in front of their eyes. You can tell them, look, Jesus Christ came. He died for your sins. He rose again from the dead. He's ascended and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you don't believe, you're going to perish. You tell them ahead of time. And this text says, though it were told you, you would not believe. That's what they experienced in the gospel preaching of the book of Acts. So how could we apply that today? Take that one step to our modern era? Well, don't be surprised when people disregard what you're saying. They disregard you. If you're a messenger of Christ, they disregard you. They disregard Christ. They disregard Christ. They disregard God who sent Him. Right? They disregard God. Then they're going to perish. They'll die in their sin. Go to eternal punishment. That's Habakkuk 1.5. I said to go back to Isaiah, so let's do that. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse number 6. 42, verse number 6. I 
hope you folks online are finding this uh, understandable and you can hear it well and there's no technological glitches. And uh, we're in Isaiah 42.6. And the text says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. We understand that in verse number 6, He is calling the Messiah to do His wonderful work of salvation, including to be a light to the Gentiles. You remember the passage in the Gospels where Jesus moved to Galilee of the Gentiles? the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali and the people who sat in great darkness have seen the light. The light to the Gentiles. That is what we're talking about. This is part of what Paul was saying when he said in Romans 1 that the Gospel was revealed in the prophets of old. That There it is. There's God going to work with the Gentiles. Look at Isaiah 49.6. See what we see here. I know I said 49.6, but let's go back to verse 5. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Now, although the idea of the servant is used earlier in the chapter as Israel, here it cannot be Israel because the servant is to bring back Israel and Jacob to God. So this is speaking of a single individual servant who we understand to be the Messiah. And then he says this, God does in verse 6, Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. You hear that? He's saying you are going to raise up Jacob, that is the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom, Remember Ezekiel says they're all going to be one happy family again. Not two kingdoms, but one kingdom. Not two kings, but one king. Not two territories, but one territory. So he says, you're going to do that, but that is going to be too small. That's like, if that's all that Christ did, that would be beneath Him. Think of this, people. Think. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. There is the Gospel again in the Old Testament concealed. In the New Testament explained, if I can swap those uh, statements from before that we came up with. Okay, This is amazing. And this is what the writers in Acts, and, and the, not the writers, the writer and the, and the preachers in Acts are dealing with, especially as they go to the Gentiles. Paul says this several times. You, you Jews don't want what we have to say? Fine, we'll go to the Gentiles because God has set the Messiah as a light to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to listen to one other New Testament text about this. Just marvelous when you can tie all these things together. 
In Luke chapter 2, Simeon saw God's salvation. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Now listen. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Boy, we don't sit in darkness, do we, friends? We have the light of the glorious Gospel of Christ shining out from Him. That is Isaiah 49.6. Luke, that was Luke 2.32, by the way. Again, these notes are available if you would like to have them. I'll, I think I'll try to put them on the website at some point uh, soon as well. Uh, speaking on this theme of Gentiles, let's go back to the minor prophets. Look in the book of Amos. Hosea, Joel, Daniel is, is right before there, but then Hosea, Joel, Amos. We need to get our brother James back here. Isn't he preaching in Amos? He's leaving us hanging here. We need, we need to finish the series. Uh, Sunday school. Some, sometime, hopefully soon, we'll be able to enjoy that again. I hope you're listening, brother James. We appreciate you very much. Um, okay, Amos 9 is the target text here. Amos 9. Uh, it says in verse 11, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Pause there for a moment. Has the tabernacle of David been raised up? Well, some would say yes it has, but clearly to me it's not. The tabernacle of David means the, the ruling function, the, house, the household, the, the dynasty of David. Has that been raised up again? No, there is no Davidic king sitting in Jerusalem. None to be found. Jesus sitting in the right hand of the Father right now waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool doesn't count as reigning from the dynasty of David over the kingdom of Israel. That shall yet occur. Now, that has fallen down. It will be repaired. It will be raised up. It will be restored and rebuilt. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by My name, says the Lord who does this thing. So once again, this is used by James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Okay, the brother of the Lord, the pastor of the Jerusalem church to tell the people, look, God's going to work with the Gentiles in the far future. It should be no surprise that He's working with the Gentiles now. None whatsoever. Okay, So that's Amos used in the preaching of the Gospel in the book of Acts. We don't have any question about this now. I, I think you would agree. It's well established that Gentiles can participate in the salvation of God. Yes? Correct. Yeah. The address is here. Yes, that's right. Next version. Version 2 will have that additional information. But when people hear this information, and even the Jewish people in Paul's day, when they hear this, in two places in the book of Acts, they use the, uh, I think it's two, they use the phrase, 
from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 about the hard-heartedness of the people. In Isaiah 6, it says this. This is kind of like Habakkuk 1, 5. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Okay, that's Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. So, again, here, people are hard-hearted and do not understand the things that God is saying to them. And that's, um, Paul says that to the Jews in the end of the book of Acts 28. So look, a few people aren't going to listen. I, I'll talk to other folks. I have to. That's my calling. Um, how, how he would love to spend days and weeks and months with Jewish people preaching the gospel and showing them the, the Messiah and, and how God has provided for their personal individual salvation and and given a, a sacrifice once for all for sins, but they would not. They would not do so. One more text this evening. Joel 2. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. 2.28. Joel 2.28. This passage is used in Acts chapter 2. And what Peter does there in Acts 2 is he's defending, this is Joel 2, but it's used in Acts 2. He's defending the apostles who are speaking in tongues by the power of the Spirit of God. And he says, look, this is like what's happened, what was predicted in the book of Joel. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Not all of that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And also on My men servants and My maid servants I will pour out My Spirit in those days. Something like that was happening. Verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. That has not happened yet. That was not fulfilled in Acts 2. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, listen, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is saying to the people there, look, these guys aren't drunk. They're not babbling and, and drunken gibberish. They're speaking your languages given to them by the Spirit of God. This is like exactly what Joel said in this passage, it's not the event that he's talking about because he's talking about when Christ returns. How do you know that? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. When's that? Well, when the Lord comes. Oof, you know, the end of the tribulation and then the Lord returns. That's the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he says this is just like that. Stuff is happening here that's strange. But it was stuff like this was prophesied. No surprise then that this is happening. And he says, here's the kicker, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Peter's trying to preach to those Jewish people. Guys, you need to call on the name of Christ, the one you crucified. You know, he died for you. 
Don't you die in your sins. Don't you turn away from Him. So they would call on the Lord and they would be saved. Now, um, I mentioned this last time, but just to kind of drive home the point, and then we'll close. In, in Acts, you see a lot of these Old Testament quotations are made in the first uh, half of the book, roughly. Not exclusively, but roughly. And there are no long quotes of the Old Testament, like in Acts 17 when Paul's ministering to Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles don't know the Old Testament. The Jews do, though. So, for Gentiles, you start in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You attack their atheism. You attack their evolutionary thinking. That's today. Back then, you attack their idolatrous thinking that the idols made the world, that, you know, that uh, the gods were fighting, and out of that came the, the creation of the universe, or chaos happened, and then some god came in and brought order to the chaos. Just foolish thinking. Um, and so you have to start in a different place and you can't just say, hey, let's think about the Hebrew Bible. You know, Gentiles don't care anything about that book. So there are some quotations and allusions, many, of course, to the Old Testament in the later part of Acts, but not so many um, as in the earlier part of the book when the focus is on the Jewish ministry. After all, Jesus told the disciples, you will minister, be witnesses for my name's sake among those in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So in ever-widening concentric circles, they would be going. And so their method of preaching is somewhat different than what we might do in terms of an exposition of you know, the book of Romans or 1 Corinthians like we're doing. But it's, nonetheless, uh, it's no less valid. It's uh, very important and I want to dig into that a little bit more. But again, or in evangelism with anybody who has a familiarity with the Bible. Maybe somebody that had some Sunday school teaching coming up. Uh, they've heard some of the Bible stories, but they don't know, you know all the details. Well, you can still use some of these things to say, look, I mean, this is predicted, this virgin birth 700 years before it happened. I, I, uh, 530 years before it happened, Daniel says the very date in which Jesus is going to come into the city of Jerusalem and he's going to be killed. And, uh, you know, so on and so forth. That's Daniel 9. We haven't gotten there yet. And that's not used in the book of Acts, but it is used elsewhere and should be used in our evangelism. But the point is, from the Old Testament, you can make great strides to help people to learn about the gospel. The gospel which is promised before by the prophets in the scriptures of old, Paul says, we can use those in our ministry. So, let's pray. Lord, we close with that thought tonight and ask that you'd help us to be familiar with our Bibles, to know enough of Genesis and Isaiah and Amos and Zechariah, Joel, Hosea, Daniel, Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel and the Psalms and the Prophets and the Writings and the Books of Moses to be able to proclaim Christ. For Luke 24 tells us that He began with Moses and all the Prophets to explain to them that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And Lord, we thank You, Lord Jesus, that You did suffer in our place and that You did rise from the dead 
and that you promise that any and all who believe in you, turning away from their sins and trusting in Christ, will be saved. Lord, thank you for this wonderful truth from Scripture, from the Holy Bible that allows us to know our eternal state. Lord, your grace has been sufficient through faith in Christ alone to save us, not of our works, not of debt, but of grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.